You're listening to the Moms Working Overtime podcast, the community of women you've been searching to find for so long. We bring together our mamas in waiting, brand new moms, stay-at-home moms, working moms, and the moms who maybe just have a little bit more experience than the rest of us. We're all here for community, support, and finding ways to show up better for our families each and every day. I'm so grateful that you're here, and I hope you love what you find on today's episode. Welcome back to the Moms Working Overtime podcast for our Thursday interview series. I hope that you have had an amazing week so far, Mama. I'm so happy that you are here. And today's episode is probably going to be the most fun episode yet. And that is because not only have I grabbed another incredible mama, you know, I like to grab moms just to share their experiences, their knowledge. But the mama I grabbed is one who is really close to my heart. So who I have with you today is Kelly Yemnitz. She's a doctorate of physical therapy. She also specializes in pelvic floor health. She's going to correct me because I didn't say that. I didn't say that right. I know I didn't. But who I have with me here today is my sis. And so I'm going to share my sis with you, my best friend. And she has taught me so much just when it comes to the physical therapy space, the women's health space. But I wanted to bring her on because so many of you have asked me about things like rehabilitation after delivery and just overall women's health as we age. And pelvic health is a huge piece of this. So welcome, sis. Hello. (laughs) Hi, all. Glad to be here. It's going to be extra fun because our voices are really similar. So we've been talking about this for the past few weeks. How are the listeners going to know who's talking? So we're trying to differentiate our voices a little bit for you all. Some of my (laughs) friends who have listened to this podcast will say, oh my gosh, your sister sounds just like you. (laughs) (laughs) We used to, we got cut off. This prank isn't funny anymore, but we used to try and trick my sister's husband. And so if he would call her phone, I would answer. And I'm telling you all, it went too far sometimes. (laughs) It it went too far because he couldn't pick up the difference because our voices are that similar. So I got cut off, but it was fun while it lasted. Our mom is probably the number one person that can always tell us apart. Anyone else, we've totally got them fooled. But we'll try and keep it easy to understand, easy to separate on the podcast today, because I really do know that you will walk away from this podcast with just tons of helpful information, valuable information. I actually polled my Instagram and Facebook um, audience, gosh, two months ago, sis, we started talking about this. Yeah, and it's been a while. Got a lot of questions, asked you all, hey, what do you want to know? What have you not been able to ask anyone? Because I know not everyone has a physical therapist that they can just spitball questions off of. So today we're going to try and talk about as many of those relevant topics as possible. But before we dive in, you all know I ask everyone the same question. And I don't know if you liked that I asked you this question, but I told you (laughs) you weren't getting out of it. (laughs) So who were you before motherhood? I know, but they don't know. And are you the kind of mom that you expected you would be? So who was I before motherhood? That is a tough question to me for me. And I told Elena, I, I don't think I want to answer that. I don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> I would say that I became a mother at a young age. In reality, I was just 24, which is not quite that young. It was just not really how I had my life planned out. 
I have since learned that nothing quite goes how you plan it in life. We talk about this all the time on the podcast. Yeah. Like, tell me your plan and then we can laugh because it didn't end up that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was in my last semester of physical therapy school. I still had 30 weeks of clinical rotations ahead of me and I had to study for my licensing board exam, which is very overwhelming. Becoming a mother was very much of a surprise to me. I was in college. I was living a pretty carefree life. I had minimal responsibility. And quite honestly, I was having fun. Uh, So I enjoy running, exercise, going to the lake, the beach. Back to your other question, am I the mom that I expected myself to be? No. I don't know that any of us are. I think as mothers, we have expectations on how we envision our life to be. I think as a mom, the thing I did not anticipate the most was all the worry and anxiety that would come with motherhood. It's definitely the best thing that has ever happened to me, but I was not prepared how much love I would have and also how much fear that would create. Fear of sickness fear of your kids getting their feelings hurt, fear of failing as a mother, just overall a lot of worries that I didn't anticipate about becoming a mom. I think that's so relatable and I know we've talked about this before, but worry is something that motherhood just feeds the fire. And this is the perfect time to even bring this up because how many weeks have you had a sick kid in a row? Too many to count. (laughs) I'm pretty sure every other phone call from my sister lately has been someone's puking, someone's coughing, someone has a fever, (laughs) like something's going on. And I don't know that that ever gets easier in motherhood. I, I know we roll with the punches a little bit better, but ultimately it still gives you that same gut punch every single time where it's like, oh my gosh, another thing, another thing to worry about, another thing to figure out. And it just really keeps you on your toes kind of in the worst way when it comes to anxiety. Absolutely. And I have come to learn that motherhood is hard. I don't know that it gets truly easier. I think the hard just changes. Absolutely. And speaking of hard, (laughs) let's talk about your pregnancies (laughs) and the train. I shouldn't say train wreck, Um, but just how difficult pregnancy can be on the female body, which really lays the paves the way for this entire conversation. So let's talk about your pregnancies and your own experiences that you had with both pregnancy, delivery, postpartum. So my pregnancies were really rough. I think too, in the beginning with my first pregnancy, I had no idea what to expect. I knew I always wanted to be a mother. I always wanted to be pregnant. I thought it would be this glamorous experience and it was anything but that. I was sick pretty well the entire 40 weeks through every pregnancy. With my last pregnancy, I was throwing up before I even had a positive pregnancy test. And I swore I was just sick with the flu for a week. And it also caused a lot of pain, which I think allows me to now empathize with my patients. I think people have this expectation that they come into physical therapy to see a pelvic health specialist and they think, oh, well, you must, you know, you know how to do this. So you know it all. You must have not had any pain during pregnancy. You had this perfect pregnancy and everything went right because you know everything to do. When in reality, I am also human. I have to, you know, make myself do the same exercises and or lifestyles that I would have a patient do. And sometimes that's just really hard. Um, I think we, we think, 
oh, I'll walk, I'll exercise 30 minutes a day, I'll do all this, when in reality, I worked eight to 10 hour days and I couldn't walk after my 10 hour days. There was no way. I barely could take care of my other kids. I was in so much pain that it was hard for me to even get out of bed, lack of motivation. There was really no way I could exercise if I still wanted to care for my children and be able to work at the same time. I think what this reminds me of, which is a good point to bring up just on the podcast, because I think all moms need to hear this more often, is you can do all the things. You can read all the books, you can buy all the courses, you can take all the classes, and you can think you're so prepared and and everything's going to be perfect because you checked off everything on your list. And sometimes it's still going to hit the fan. Sometimes it's still going to suck. Sometimes it's still going to be challenging. You still might feel discouraged and even coming from a physical therapist and previous occupational therapist, I can tell you there's times where we we feel like I've been doing these exercises, I've been doing everything I'm supposed to and eating healthy and all this stuff and I still feel XYZ or I'm still struggling and we question it all too. It's It's hard to get up and do those things because it's not always perfect. Yes, and the first time I peed my pants when I sneezed, I thought to <laughs> myself, crap. <laughs> I have a weak pelvic floor. I have got to do something about this. So I also did, I went to see a pelvic floor physical therapist because I knew the importance of it. And as a new mom, you are so tired. You lack motivation and I needed my own accountability. And I think also recognizing that as far as I needed someone else to say, Kelly, you have got to do these things because you need to heal and you want to heal which I think experiencing the same things that my patients also experience allows me to empathize with them and encourage them as well. For sure. It's no different than what I experienced on my end with just nutrition coaching and and programming exercises. Here's the thing. I'm going through my own postpartum program that I give to my clients when they have a baby. And there are days I do not want to do the mobility. I don't want to do the stretching. I don't want to do the connection breasts that I know we're going to talk about. I don't feel like it, but I think of them and there's a leading by example component of that, but there's also the empathy component of, you know, I am helping all these mamas have better lifestyles, improve their overall wellness. And they need to have someone that's truly been through this with them. That's why I think moms need to be coached and helped by other moms. I think that women who seek someone out for pelvic health therapy really benefit from seeing someone who's also been through pregnancy and delivery and peeing their pants when they sneeze. I think that is so important and it just makes you feel better understood. So, okay, one thing that was brought up to me though whenever I posted this on social media is what is the pelvic floor? And I I love that someone put this in the question box because it's so true. We talk about it every single day. And so I think we forget that some people don't even know what that is and they may be too embarrassed to ask. So what's the pelvic floor in, in your terms? So this is probably the most famous question that I get. And I think if you don't know what the pelvic floor is, you are absolutely not alone. Most of my patients don't know what the pelvic floor is. They don't know even some of them where it's at, what it consists of. So we all have a pelvic floor. So your significant other, your husband, your your spouse, they have a pelvic floor too. I think sometimes men don't think they have a pelvic floor because they don't carry children and so they don't have one. But the pelvic floor consists of three layers of muscles and connective tissues that support the organs in your pelvis, such as your bladder, bowel, and your 
internal reproductive organs. Your pelvic floor muscles assist with many functions such as urinating, having a bowel movement, and engaging in sexual activity. They run from your pubic bone in the front to your tailbone in the back, and then each side of your body to your sit bones. You need your pelvic floor to contract, also need it to relax, and you need it to have the ability to bear down. If you are not able to do all three of those things, we term it pelvic floor dysfunction. Patients ask, how do I contract my pelvic floor? How do I know I'm doing it right? Kegels. (laughs) Let's talk about Kegels. No. I usually encourage patients that if you're going to do a proper Kegel, as you would call them, we call them a pelvic floor contraction where I currently treat, you want to contract like you are stopping a stream of urine and like you are holding in gas. Like you're in a, I tell patients like you're in a crowded elevator and you're trying not to pass gas because remembering your pelvic floor extends front to back and it's not just to support the vaginal opening We also need it to support rectal and bowels as well. I know Elaine and I talked about this earlier, but the Kegel conversation. (laughs) I have patients come in and they say, well, I'm doing 100 Kegels a day and nothing's working. Doing a pelvic floor contraction is more than just doing a Kegel. It's not the only answer. It's not the only thing that we do in in physical therapy. You're not going to come in the door and we're going to say, okay, let's do a thousand Kegels a day. If you are doing a thousand Kegels, you are probably doing, doing them incorrect. And there's really no reason to do that many. The other thing is, is that please know that sometimes Kegels can do more harm than good. And a lot of times patients say, well, what do you mean? I have a weak pelvic floor. But if you're experiencing pelvic floor pain or pain with intercourse and you're doing a lot of Kegels, you are further tightening muscles that are probably already tight. So a lot of patients have a tight pelvic floor and when the muscles are tight, they really need to be lengthened. It is possible to have a tight and a weak pelvic floor at the same time. And this is because when you have chronic tightness, the muscles don't fully contract. And without full contraction, the muscles cannot get stronger. I'm so glad you said that because that was going to be my question for the audience is, so can I have urinary incontinence and pelvic floor tightness? Absolutely. So sometimes pelvic floor relaxation and lengthening are just as important, if not more important. So the courses that I have taken and kind of how I treat my patients is if you're having pelvic floor pain, we always want to address the pain component first because we need to lengthen those muscles so that they have the availability to move through the entire range of motion that they're supposed to to be able to properly strengthen them. If you're trying to strengthen a muscle that has a very limited range of motion and is already really tight, you're probably not going to have the the success with intervention that you would want. Makes Um, sense. Yeah. So this is where a pelvic PT comes in. And also remembering that your core is an important aspect related to the pelvic floor to assist in absorbing outside pressure from coughing, lifting, sneezing. These muscles are also important for healing diastasis after pregnancy, for helping with low back pain, helping with rib flares. And the diaphragm also plays a very important role. I know usually what I do with any patient is first we work on diaphragmatic breathing. One, to be able to kind of downregulate that nervous system, especially if you're having pain. 
Two, to kind of allow you to know how to contract your pelvic floor with breath work to make sure you're not creating a lot of pressure in your abdomen, which when you create a lot of pressure in your abdomen, you actually push downward on a pelvic floor that you're attempting to strengthen and it creates like a a bearing down pressure. But the diaphragm plays an important role with lung expansion and organ movement. And, you know, if you're having constipation and we're talking about bowels, also working that diaphragmatic breathing into properly pushing to avoid straining with a bowel movement. This is one of the reasons that I would recommend anyone who's listening, even if you know what the pelvic floor is, but let's say you're experiencing some of the symptoms that we're going to talk about today, or you've never seen anyone, if you've had one child or multiple children, you've never seen anyone for your pelvic floor for diastasis. I recommend seeing a physical therapist because something Kelly and I talk about that I bring up to my clients and that she brings up to her patients is that mind-body connection between your your mind and those muscles that you're trying to activate. Because like she said, you may be stabilizing your core and lifting something or performing any type of movement, and that could still be leaving the pelvic floor vulnerable, and you could still be experiencing issues. But what you can do when you work with someone that actually understands the pelvic floor that specializes in this is they can teach you to make those connections between your mind and your pelvic floor to properly learn what it feels like to activate the pelvic floor, to work the pelvic floor and to be able to strengthen it. And then you're not just blindly doing Kegels because people don't even usually do Kegels correctly. (laughs) And so you're not just blindly doing Kegels. You can be doing exercises effectively and know exactly what you're looking for. I think that that's so important when you perform any movement that you know what muscles you're trying to to be that you're trying to recruit and and know what it feels like to effectively recruit them. Absolutely. And going back to the doing just kegels part, rarely are you sitting down just doing kegels all day and that is going to to fix your urinary incontinence. It's not functional. No, it's not functional at all. So if you're not learning how to properly incorporate the pelvic floor contraction with functional movements, squatting, getting in and out of a chair, lunges, step ups, different things that you have to do every day. And I know some, some patients say, well, I don't have steps in my house. Well, there's still steps in the community that you're going to have to navigate, whether that be a curb or to get into a business and patients say, well, I can't squat because it hurts my low back, but we squat every day to sit on the couch. We squat, you know, we do kind of the reverse of a squat when we get off of the couch. So if we can't do those functional movement patterns and learn how to properly contract your pelvic floor and use your breath work, then you're really not doing yourself any good just sitting there doing pelvic floor contractions. The research has shown that our pelvic floor plays a big role in our ability to do those functional movement patterns. It's just not something we think about because a lot of times it works. And until it doesn't work, then we don't notice it. So until you don't have urinary incontinence or pain with intercourse or constipation or bowel leakage, we don't realize, oh shoot, I should probably work on my pelvic floor. It's reminding me of conversations I have with moms who say, well, I don't want to lift weights. I don't want to get bulky or anything. I don't want to pick up anything 15 pounds or heavier. And I'm like, how much does your kid weigh? (laughs) Because you pick them up how many times a day and you're afraid to hit the gym. Like, mama, we need to have a conversation. But it's no different. We wait for something to be wrong. We wait for there to be that urgency attached to when we get help, which is why I know this podcast is going to be helpful because I have conversations left and right where I tell women, hey, you need to see a PT that specializes in the pelvic floor and that is news to them. So sis, can you go through 
what different conditions, what different symptoms, scenarios bring patients to see you for pelvic floor health? Yes. So first we can start with urinary incontinence because I feel like that's probably what most, especially new women, new mothers experience and kind of a lot of times people are afraid to talk about pain with intercourse and pelvic pain. Um, Also, as we age, we can get a lot of urinary incontinence. So I feel like that's probably the most common. So there are three types of incontinence. There's urge incontinence where we have an urge to urinate and we cannot hold it or associating it with that urge with certain things like Water running, walking in the door when you get home, pulling in the driveway or the garage. There is also stress incontinence where a pressure is exerted on the pelvic floor and you're not able to hold your urine. This stress can be from coughing, laughing, sneezing, lifting, jumping. And lastly, there is mixed incontinence, which is basically a combination of the two I mentioned above. Incontinence can happen for a variety of reasons. So some of these reasons that may lead to incontinence are pregnancy, childbirth, chronic cough or sickness, stress can cause a lot of incontinence, uh, obesity, hormonal changes, especially those associated with menopause, diabetes, certain medications, frequent UTIs, and or constipation. I also treat women... um, who are going through chemo or radiation that, you know, sometimes can cause a lot of urinary issues um, and, and definitely affect hormones as well. So just because you have incontinence does not mean you need to do Kegels, just to reiter- reiterate that. So <laughs> they're going to walk away from this and tell their friends, hey, don't do Kegels. That's what I heard on the podcast. <laughs> and I think the, the big take-home behind that as well is we don't know and if we have a lot of pelvic pain or you know you're not able to use a tampon and some women say I haven't been able to use a tampon ever in my whole life well then you probably have some sort of pelvic floor tightness that you don't realize you know a lot of times I think we don't think about it we don't we just kind of ignore it and brush it under Mm -hmm. under the rug and say well other people feel this way too so it's normal so it must not matter I hate that it's normal I talk about this with the gut too people think it's normal to only go to the bathroom twice a week or less and I'm like no that's not normal that's just common because people have terrible gut health in our society today but urinary incontinence is the same way do a lot of women pee their pants when they cough or sneeze after they have babies? Yes. Does that make it normal? No. No. (laughs) It's just common. No. Common does not equal normal. And I think society tells us that, well, you have a baby, so you can't jump on a trampoline and you'll never be able to jump rope again and you're going to pee your pants. And I say to that, just because people make it normal and society makes it normal does not mean that is how you have to live. That is not quality of life if you cannot do the functional activities that you want to do without symptoms. We should, as women, be able to strengthen our pelvic floors as we age, after delivery. And sometimes patients have weak pelvic floors to start with. They'll tell me, you know, I've peed my pants Forever. I I was never fully potty trained as a kid. I remember being embarrassed in elementary school or in high school or in college. And I have always had a weak pelvic floor my whole life. And now I have this baby and 
I, it's, it's even worse. And so I think because it's normal does not, or because it's common definitely does not mean it's normal. And I don't want women to feel like, well, everyone else has it. So I'll just live with it too, because it's absolutely something that you do not have to live with. It is something that a pelvic floor physical therapist could help you with, even if it's a you know, maybe not perfect, but if we can get it a lot better for you to where you don't have to be embarrassed or worried, it will definitely improve your quality of life. For sure. And I know there's another portion of the incontinence conversation too, that you wanted to bring up just regarding fluid intake. And this is, I like this reminder because I encourage my clients to drink hundred ounces of water and hydration is a big component of my coaching but this is a great reminder, especially working with moms, working with women postpartum. So I wanted you to be able to touch on that. So we don't just address your symptoms. We also do kind of a lifestyle assessment. What are you drinking? What are you eating? Trying to figure out bladder irritants, food irritants, uh, different lifestyle factors that could also be playing a role in your symptoms. And one of the things that we always review in our initial evaluation as a new patient is what are you drinking? Um, I think the thing that shocked me the most was how many women are drinking straight soda all day, all day long. long and nothing else. Zero water. No glass of water. I hate water. It's gross. It's <laughs> disgusting. I hear it every day. So I just tell them that it's painful to hear. <laughs> it is painful to hear. It sounds painful <laughs> to not drink any water. So sometimes that is starting with 10 ounces a day. And I will never tell a patient you have to drink 100 ounces a day. Do I believe in 100 ounces a day? Yes. Do I think that if a patient is only is drinking no water a day that I'm going to start them at 100 ounces? No. Mm-hmm. That is a goal they will never achieve because it's way too high. So we start with 10 ounces and we gradually work our way up 10 ounces or so a week, making sure that they can manage the fluids. Especially and, from a bladder and pelvic floor yes. standpoint. And ideally, I usually make the goal for my patients 60 to 70 ounces. I know for some listening, 60 to 70 seems like so much. And for others, it seems like, oh, that's not really enough. I drink 100 to 120 ounces a day. But I think overall, that is going to be a good healthy amount, especially if you're not drinking any water. I think another misconception is people say, well, I pee all day long, so I'm not, I just don't drink anything. If we're not drinking water, our urine actually becomes more acidic and that irritates the lining of the bladder, which is going to make it want to contract to expel that acidic urine out, which actually causes rebound urinary frequency. So, you know, really addressing what the patient is drinking, what are their lifestyle factors, what are they eating? You know, if you're, I have some women that they're like, I douse all my food in hot sauce every single time. (laughs) (laughs) that may be irritating your bladder. (laughs) And they're like, I can't eat food if I don't have hot sauce all over it. But I pee 15 times a day. Well, sometimes I then I say, you're here because you want to get help. So sometimes we have to decide what's worth it, the hot sauce or how how we're feeling. But foods that we eat can also really affect our bladder. Love it. (laughs) So I guess the next Fun topic. (laughs) Fun topic. You can also have fecal incontinence. And this can be definitely embarrassing to talk about, but it can be caused by diarrhea. There can be damaged nerves or muscles in your rectum. It can be hemorrhoids. It can be from constipation. It can be from illness. But remembering that the pelvic floor is going to extend into, it's not just 
supporting your, your urinary functions. It's also supporting your bowel functions. Another common thing that I see is prolapse and you don't have to be in your sixties to have a prolapse. I treat young women with prolapses frequently and I think they're also embarrassed by it and surprised by it. You know, they'll say, I have a prolapse and this is only my first baby. I want to have more children. So really addressing how we can strengthen the pelvic floor to support the pelvic organs like your uterus, your rectum, or your bladder, which may be bulging into your vaginal opening. And I think... Probably the hardest diagnosis that I treat is pelvic pain or pain with intercourse. And by hardest, I mean hardest for patients to talk about. I think it's not something that you just go tell your friends about or, Mm -hmm. you know, it can be embarrassing with your significant other. And that can be due to a pelvic floor that is too tight. It can be due to pregnancy, birth trauma. I have patients with endometriosis who have a lot of pelvic pain. Uh, sometimes it can be associated with abuse or trauma that can really lead to a lot of pelvic pain. So I always tell patients, I can't help you with anything that you don't tell me. So, you know, we always maintain a patient's privacy in a professional manner, but remembering that pelvic health physical therapists are here to help you. They're here to listen to you. They're here to empathize with you and they're here to help improve your quality of life and decrease your symptoms. And we are going to do everything that we can do. But if you don't tell us what you're experiencing, then it's hard for us to treat because we never know. I think that goes to goes for a lot of different things in motherhood too. We talked about this with postpartum depression and anxiety whenever Katie came on and shared her story. And the first piece of advice that she gave and the last piece of advice she gave on the podcast was hey you got to tell somebody like you have to tell somebody what's going on and it's no different with anything with your pelvic floor don't ever accept something as normal just because you're embarrassed of it or it's you know common for other women to experience if there is something that's interrupting your quality of life bring it up and see if there's something you can do about it and that involves going to see a pelvic health pt if you're experiencing any of this yes And there are so many other diagnoses. I feel like I could go on and on. We can, you know, obviously we help women heal any diastasis, which is healing your abdominal muscles postpartum. I think a common question is, does this happen to everyone? Your your abdominal muscles are going to have to separate to allow for room for the baby to grow. Some heal great, some don't heal great, and that's okay too. And I think that's where we come in as assisting you in how to heal I think some women think, oh, my, my, it's still so wide. It's so wide. It's actually more important to look at the depth of it. So that's kind of what I try to heal first is the depth versus the width of how far apart your abdominals are separated. Other diagnosis would be like hysterectomy rehabilitation. We look at your low back, your SI joint. Um, When you're pregnant, you can, that can bring a lot of groin pain, Um, hip pain, back pain, and also constipation, C-section recovery. I feel like the list could go on and on. It could go on. Yeah, (laughs) it it could go on. But I think that this at least gets the gears going for anyone who's listening, if if they're experiencing some of those things, or just knowing some people have probably never heard of the specialty of pelvic floor health in physical therapy. So now they at least know it exists and they can start looking into it and ask questions. But Symptoms of a weak pelvic floor after pregnancy delivery. 
Here comes that word normal again. <laughs> is it normal? It's not normal, but <laughs> it's, it's common. common. <laughs> if your pelvic floor muscles were already weak prior to pregnancy, or if there was tightness in your pelvic floor prior to pregnancy, it will probably exacerbate those conditions. But just because you experience that does not mean you are stuck with that for life. You should not have a baby and say, well, I had a baby, so I have pelvic pain the rest of my life, or I have incontinence the rest of my life. You should be able to heal all of your symptoms postpartum. This is where pelvic health PT comes in. And I think the, I know I mentioned this earlier, but how to improve your quality of life and also participate in exercise again. I think too, some women, they come in and they tell me, I ran marathons and now I can't even run 0.1 miles without peeing my pants. And I was in such great shape. That's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes we, we have these unrealistic expectations. You have to remember what your body went through for 40 weeks. There is a lot of pressure. There's the weight of the baby. You've got increased blood supply. You've got the amniotic fluid. You have the placenta. That is a lot of weight on your pelvic floor for nine months. Mm-hmm. You know? And they want to jump right back into intense exercise yes. at the same level. Yes. I, I tell my mamas, please do not go do a workout exactly like you would have done pre-pregnancy when you get cleared at that six-week checkup. That's not a good idea. <laughs> yes. And also to know that it is never, ever too late to heal your pelvic floor. Just because you had a baby 20, 40, 60 years ago does not mean you it's too late to heal your pelvic floor or heal your abdominal separation. Just because you did not rehab right after delivery or the minute you notice pelvic pain or discomfort or symptoms does not mean that you can no longer be helped. So don't don't be afraid if you think, gosh, this happened to me so long ago. I stuck too, with it now. It's too late. Mm-hmm. It's too late. Definitely worth kind of talking to your doctor and seeing if you can get a referral to public health PT. Absolutely. Sis, I know that there are certain things and I want to ask this for the audience. So you and I going through pregnancy, going through postpartum, did pelvic floor exercise the entire time because we know the importance of it. But for the mama who's listening, who maybe will have more pregnancies, God willing, or someone who's trying to get pregnant right now, what are things that a woman can do before or during or after pregnancy to help decrease the likelihood that they'll have these these issues, any of these symptoms? I would recommend exercise and knowing how to contract your pelvic floor. Just because you're pregnant, you can still contract your pelvic floor with exercise intervention and bring it into those functional movement patterns. When you're doing squats, when you're doing step-ups, you do not have to commit to a 30-minute hardcore workout with lots of weights to do functional movement exercises. You know, it can be some something as simple as 10 exercises or 10 different repetitions of an exercise. It doesn't have to be something big. Also remembering to stretch, you know, as our bodies change in pregnancy, we get a lot of relaxing hormone, which is going to, going to cause ligament laxity. We have a lot of pain. We have a lot of pressure. So stretching the pelvic and doing pelvic floor relaxation exercises in safe positions for your baby. Also managing your constipation. So you're not bearing down as you're trying to have a bowel movement while holding your breath and further increasing your risk for possible prolapse and or hemorrhoids and performing diaphragmatic breathing since the diaphragm and the pelvic floor work so closely together. 
And see a pelvic health physical therapist. Yes. <laughs> she didn't even she didn't even plug herself there. You see the humility that's in this family, everyone? I mean, goodness. No, see see a pelvic health physical therapist. I highly encourage it. Like I said, I'm I'm very blessed. I've got one a phone call away. Probably drive her a little bit nuts, but Go see someone proactively. Maybe you're not even experiencing any of these symptoms yet, but you're expecting or you want to try and get pregnant soon. You want to prepare your body for that experience of pregnancy because it does. It changes everything. It puts a lot of pressure on your body. Go see a pelvic health physical therapist. She's going to talk about some things in today's podcast of how you can access a PT, even if you just go see them for a couple visits. I promise that it is worth it. So let's, let's just go there right now. If a woman wanted to seek out a referral or see a pelvic health PT, what does that process look like for people that aren't familiar? This is going to vary by state. So I am a licensed physical therapist in Missouri. So I can only tell you kind of our rules. I'm not sure state to state. I know this definitely differs. But I would call, I would always recommend calling the PT clinic that you wish to go to, and they would be able to help you with any specific requirements for their facility. The other thing is just because you have direct access physical therapy, which means you can see a physical therapist without referral from a provider, does not mean that your insurance will cover that service. So just your the clinic that you call, they should be able to help you with that. Or you can contact your insurance company as well. They would also be able to tell you that. In Missouri, we finally got direct access PT in 2023, which means you can see a physical therapist without a referral from a medical doctor for 30 days or 10 visits. It's kind of whichever comes first. I usually recommend patients get a referral from your doctor, your nurse practitioner. I work with many different doctors. This does not have to be a referral from an OBGYN doctor. It can be your primary care doctor. It can be their nurse practitioner, it can be a urologist, a GI specialist, your oncologist. There there are many different practitioners that we can accept a referral from. There's also a website online. It is pelvicrehab.com and that can help you find a licensed physical therapist who is also specialized in pelvic health in your area. Just to be clear, for anyone who's... Because we come from therapist speak language, and I get the DMs, so I know what questions are probably coming this way. So if you're interested in getting a referral or seeing a pelvic health physical therapist, ask the facility when you call them, do you or do you not need a doctor's referral to be seen? And that can give you the answer of whether they have direct access care or not. And then the second thing is make sure that you ask, will my insurance cover these visits and get an idea of what that's going to cost you out of pocket. Those are two questions I would recommend if you're listening and you're going to look into this. Those would be the questions to ask to make sure that you're you're good to go to actually go to that appointment, not feel like you're blindsided. Also, I know it can be overwhelming because sometimes it can be hard to find a pelvic floor physical therapist in your area. Know that we give you tools to assist you to do this work at home as well. You should be given a home exercise program. You should be given handouts or something to allow you to know what you and the therapist discuss during your session as kind of your plan of action or the exercises they want you to implement. A lot of times I only see my pelvic health patients once a week. This still gives great results. It is a lot of work that you have to do on your end. I can't magically make you stronger, but I can give you the tools and provide you the resources to help you achieve that. So 
Also, some of my patients, they drive for from one to two hours away to get to the clinic. And so in that case, maybe we see what works best for them. Maybe we do every other week. Maybe we do once a month. That way, that allows patients to not feel overwhelmed by the burden of having to come to visit after visit after visit and feeling like, I cannot fit this into my schedule. I'm busy. I'm working. And I have multiple kids. Yes. And I think, you know, I always tell tell moms, don't let your baby be an excuse that you don't come to a session. Babies are always welcome. <laughs> They're sometimes what got you here in the first place. So bring them with you. I don't think your public health therapist should care. And I think that, you know, I can't speak for everyone, but I would rather see a patient get help and get the assistance that they need to improve their quality of life than see them struggle because they have no care for their child to watch them while they go to an appointment. I think starting this process is probably so intimidating for a lot of women. I know you talked about the different conditions and reasons that people may or may not come because they're embarrassed. It's different for every clinician. I want to give that disclaimer. Kelly cannot give you just a bullet point list of everything they're going to do in your physical therapy evaluation if you go see someone for pelvic health. But there's a mama listening who I know is probably thinking, okay, so if I go to this appointment, appointment, is it invasive? How embarrassing? Like, what all would this even entail? So a typical PT evaluation for pelvic health. And again, disclaimer, every clinician is going to have their different process. But what could you say as an overarching summary of what that looks like? Yes. So at the clinic that I treat at, there are two of us that do pelvic health. I am sure my evaluations are very different from her evaluations. And that is just going to be differences in the way we treat, the way we were taught, and our backgrounds. So I was, I'll say, an orthopedic physical therapist first, which means I treated primarily conditions of the spine and joints, neck, back, shoulders, knees, ankles were kind of my specialty. But once I had a baby, I was like, oh my gosh, I have all these other issues. I felt empathetic and like a calling to help, to further help women and men. I treat men as well, um, especially after prostate removal. But I felt a calling to help them even further, just knowing what I had experienced. And so your physical therapist will do a pretty thorough evaluation the first day. Coming from an orthopedic background, I always like to look at the spine, look at the hips, because remembering that pelvic floor is attaching from your pubic bone in the front to the tailbone in the back and both sides of your ischial tuberosities, which are your sit bones. So if we're not addressing the hip and the back, which to which those pelvic floor muscles are attaching, I don't feel like we're doing a thorough assessment. So first I look at kind of how your spine's moving, how are your hips moving, what does your strength look like, making sure sensation's intact, looking at your reflexes. Um, also, we can do an internal assessment or we cannot. I have women that are like, yeah, I'm here, let's do it. And I have women that are like, absolutely not, I'm not comfortable with it. I think that the main take-home point and the point that was taught in the classes that I went through to get my continuing education in this was it is not going to be like a well women's exam and I think that's what people think it is I do not use a speculum I'm not putting the tool in and widening you up or anything like that you're not throwing feet up in stirrups (laughs) there is none (laughs) and 
a lot of times we do do a, an internal pelvic floor assessment, but it is very gentle and the patient always is in charge. You know, I'm, I always tell the patients, you give me feedback. If you're having a lot of pelvic pain, maybe we're not really doing a deep pelvic assessment, you know, but that kind of allows your practitioner to know, do you have muscle tightness? Because like we talked about before, you can have weakness and you can have tightness. They can coexist. So maybe we need to address the pelvic floor tightness first that you don't necessarily know that you have because you haven't done an internal assessment or don't know what you're looking for. So if you can, you know, and if you're not comfortable with that, I always tell patients I can treat without and we can just do some trial and error. And a lot of times patients are okay with that too. The other thing is it doesn't have to be done on the first visit. If I can tell a patient is apprehensive or maybe there's multiple things, maybe we have incontinence, we have pain, we have a C-section recovery, we have abdominal separation. Maybe we just start with a few things in the beginning and then we get to that internal assessment. But I think it's important to know that you should tell your practitioner what you are comfortable with. And if you aren't comfortable with something, then don't allow it to happen. You know, we have to obtain written and verbal consent before we would do an internal assessment. So I don't think it should be something that that should be the only reason you don't go to physical therapy for pelvic health. For sure. So I got another question in um, on social media whenever I polled everyone about this interview. And the question was actually from a mama who had her first. She's about a year out from her first. They were planning for her second. And she messaged me about seeing a pelvic health physical therapist. And she's like, well, how long would it take? Because we want to try for our second, but I want to fix these problems before. I already know what your first sentence is going to be, <laughs> but how long does it typically take to heal, repair, strengthen the pelvic floor? I cannot put a timeline on that. And I know that's not what I anyone know. wants to hear. So it depends there. And I know it depends is, is a very vague answer as well. Every individual is different and there's no way for me to say in this many weeks or this many days, it's going to be better. Also prefacing by saying, as a PT, I can't do it all for you. So it's really going to depend on a lot of factors, but it depends on a patient's motivation level, the compliance with their home exercise program. You know, if I give you some things to do and you set it on your counter and don't look at it for 10 days, we're probably not going to make that much progress and it's probably going to take a little bit longer. It also depends on the patient's symptoms. Is there pain involved too? How many pregnancies um, have they had, it was their delivery complications, vaginal versus C-section delivery, how, you know, the width or depth of your abdominal separation, how long have you had incontinence, what are you eating and drinking? You know, there's so many different components, but I would say most of my patients, generally speaking, I see for at least a couple months, and I feel like that allows them to get a good grasp on their program, how to manage their symptoms. And by saying a couple months, that is anywhere from six to eight sessions is usually kind of what I would typically see a patient unless it's really involved. And then it might take a little bit longer, but that's okay. And if you don't have the means or you don't have the resources to to participate in six to eight physical therapy treatments, then just go and Tell your physical therapist that. Tell them what you can do and what you can't do, and they should be able to work with you. 
For sure. And just so you all know, because those are all the pelvic health questions that were sent our way that I wanted Kelly to cover. But if you come across a question, maybe you don't feel comfortable asking anyone in your life, you can message me the question. And I'm always willing to get her support to send you to a resource or help you understand how to word that question or help you understand what to look for in a physical therapy treatment or evaluation. You're always welcome to send me a message and I know where to find her pretty easily. (laughs) Actually, typically in my call log about five times a day. But (laughs) let us know what questions you have because this is a topic that's so important for women, so important for mamas before, during, after we have children. And just making sure that we're taking care of ourselves so we can show up as our best selves for our family. It's why you're here. And it's, it's the real reason that I look for topics like this to bring to the podcast. I've been begging her for months to come over and hang out and not just talk about pointless things, but to actually do a, a recording. So before we let Kelly go today... I don't know that she knows this, but I have one more question for you. And I I didn't even prep her for this. But hey, there's a lot of moms listening who maybe are going through a hard season or are maybe questioning themselves. They feel a lot of doubt. They feel a lot of guilt. They're feeling overwhelmed, burnt out. What would you say to a mama who's listening in the Moms Working Overtime community today, just to leave them with a message from you, your experience in motherhood, maybe paired with your experience as a physical therapist, but what would you tell them? I would probably say you can do this. It's hard. It's really hard. And surround yourself with friends who validate that hard for you. Surround yourself with people who will be there to listen and support you and ask for help. I think that there's no way I could have got through my motherhood journey without my sister and my family to support me. And don't be afraid to tell people how you're feeling. You know, Elena knows this. I struggled with a lot of postpartum anxiety and depression. And it's really hard if you try to battle that alone. But I will say, and I feel that it's a season of life and seasons change. And that doesn't mean that they get better or they get worse, but it's not this hard forever. There will always be challenges. There will always be something for you to face, but taking those challenges and meeting them head on and telling yourself, I can do this. I've got this. I'm strong. And sometimes saying that when you don't feel strong, just saying it, it's like, it's an affirmation, but it's so true mama. And just remember motherhood is hard. No one said it wasn't hard, but there's a reason you're doing it. There's a reason that you're exactly where you're at. You were perfectly designed for this. You were perfectly designed for your children before they even came into this world. You are exactly what they need. And the reminder that you'll always get whenever you come to the Moms Working Overtime podcast, the reminder I hope that you get in your day-to-day life every single day is Hey, Mama, you're doing a really amazing job. We'll talk soon. If you loved this episode of Moms Working Overtime, do me a favor. Share it on social media or send it to another mom to remind her that you love her and that she's doing such an amazing job. There's nothing more incredible that we can do in this community than remind other mamas of their strength. I'm so glad you were here today and just know that I appreciate you an overtime amount.